Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Castlin from Always Acting Up Podcast and Blog. This is the podcast where I share all of my tips and tricks and stories as an actress in the entertainment industry. We have guests Q&A who tell us all of their secrets to success, some of their crazy stories, and so much more. This episode, we are going to talk with one of my very special guests, and she's going to tell us all about the writing process as an actor and so much more. But before we get into that, I have to give a quick shout out to you guys who follow me and support me every single month, week, year at this point um, on all of the socials. You guys are following along. I do have Always Acting Up blog, which shares elements to help you look, feel, and perform better in front of the camera and in live. So you guys can head over to castlinrose.com slash blog. And for your support, I do have a quick applause for you. Seriously, I could not do this without you guys. All right, let's get into it. I have a guest coming up, and I am so excited to have her here. And before I introduce her, I have to tell you guys how we kind of came in contact. And it's one of the big reasons why I wanted to have her on the show is because she actually came and pitched me in my inbox. And what I really, really liked about it is that she made it so simple. She had a one sheet with some photos with who she is, what she does, and what she wanted to talk about. It was so simple. And I have been meaning to have her on the podcast for a little while. So we finally are getting around to doing it. And she is. Listen to this. Check this out. You guys just hold your horses. Hang tight. She is a Sundance award-winning actress. Say what? The founder of Pickford West Society and the Creator Lab, where she helps actors finally figure out how to write their damn scripts already. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Emily Grace. Hi, Emily. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And I I love that you clap for your audience. I think that's such a thoughtful thing to do because where would we be without the people that follow our work? So I love that. Yeah. And I've mentioned so many times on the podcast that it's really hard and I mess up all the time. And sometimes I'm like, no one listens to this. No one's going to do anything (laughs) with this. No one's going to listen. It's terrible. But people do. And when you support people who are trying, it goes a long way. And so I just want to reciprocate. And, you know, it's not just a one-way streak. You guys support me and I support you back. And I genuinely, like, I want to know, like, what people are up to and if there's other ways I can help support, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm listening here on the podcast, which can be found on all podcasting platforms, uh, website, Instagram, all of those good things. So I do think it is very, very important. So Emily, I have some questions for you. First, before we get into Pickford Pickford West Society, which I'm like dying to talk about, (laughs) you have to tell us all about um, what project you did where you won uh, Best Actress at Sundance. Oh my God, that's so cool. So I didn't win Best Actress at Sundance, but the film that I starred in won a special jury prize for Emotional Truth. Uh, Mm -hmm. which was so exciting because I was the lead and was in all but one scene when my character was played by a child, like a flashback played by a child. So it felt like best actress, but (laughs) for clarity's sake, uh, it was a special jury prize for emotional truth. Um, So it was a film called What Alice Found, and it was the first feature I ever booked. Uh, What? Yes, it was the first feature I ever booked. I booked it on my own. I had no representation at the time. Uh, Like how you explained how I reached out to you with my one sheet Mm. and my photos and made it simple. I was very much in the hustle at that time. I had gone to NYU for drama and then was living in New York and doing all the showcase plays and inviting the industry and following up. And we would print out on label sheets like the technology has changed so much since then I you know. get like label sheets and print out all the addresses of all the agencies and send your postcards and I, remember I was this. hustling then 
And I happened to be in a play that this casting director who usually cast for background happened to see. And I was like, well, I'll follow up with her. I'm not really pursuing background, but you know, you never know. I'll follow up with her. And it happened to be right at the time that she was casting this film because she was friends with the director writer. And she was like, Oh, I saw your play and you're really great for this role. And she says, Oh, <laughs> she's, she's a plain woman. <laughs> That's the description. She's a plain woman from New Hampshire, which is where I'm from. And I was, Perfect. I just, as soon as she said that to me, I was like, Oh, I'm going to book this. I just had that feeling. I was like, this is, I'm going to book this. Um, so I and eventually booked it. And then it's a long story, but you know, they had the financing and then the financing fell through. And then I thought maybe the of film course. was never going to happen. I never heard anything. And then all of a sudden it was like a month before we were going to shoot and we shot the film. It was opposite. Um, Judith Ivy, who's a Tony award winner played my co-star in the film. And I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better first feature. It was an amazing experience. Wait, um, and it was a feature on top of it? Yeah, it was a feature. Your first mm -hmm. job was a feature? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. I always hear these stories <laughs> about people who are like, yeah, this is their first job ever. And it's like the lead role on like Gilmore Girls, the girl uh, Alexis Bledel. That was like her first or second audition ever. And she's Gilmore Girls like forever. I'm like, how does this even happen? This is insane. I know. It's it's it was magical. It just was like all the stars will happen to align. And, you know, I wasn't sitting at home going, "Oh, I hope I book a role one day." You know, I was hustling mm -hmm. very hard at that time. And I really felt like I wasn't making any progress at all. And then this thing just sort of unfolded. It did feel like magic. Um, and then we you know, we shot the film, we wrapped it in the summer. And then like right before Thanksgiving that year, I was going home to visit my family and I got the call like, hey, we got into Sundance. So it was like just this great experience to share Dude. with my family and holidays. And yeah, it was fucking awesome. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Legit. Like that's like a dream story. Even for filmmakers, it's so hard to get into, into Sundance. I mean, yeah. I'm literally in the process and surrounded by filmmakers and it is, it's a process just to get in. So that's insane. And honestly, your story is like really refreshing to know that hard work and hustle, like it really makes a difference and you can get where you want to be with a little bit of luck involved. But honestly, like you did the work yourself and you deserve it. It Your stars were aligned and it was there. Yeah, and that's I, pretty great. I'm curious, where does that hustle come from? Was that, have you always been like the type of I've person always, who's a go-getter? Yes. Always. I've always been extremely ambitious. I don't know where it comes from because I'm definitely the only actor in my family. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> my parents are like science. I mean, art, like painting, drawing, craft type of art plus science. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely the only performer. So I don't really know where it comes from. I just have always been that way. And then actually one of the things that led me to then create a business to help actors was I would take a class or work with a coach and learn these great strategies and be like, oh my God, gather around actor friends. Let me teach you what I've learned. And so I always loved seeking out ways of doing things and then wanting to share that. And I think I've also just been like the conventional path. I just always felt like, well, I mean, that's not the only way to do things. Like you can do things on your own. I never liked going through the middleman. You know, I, as I said, I booked this eight, mm. this film with no agent. I didn't have an agent, but it didn't stop me from building my own relationships. And I've just always been someone who enjoys going directly for what I want. And that was what I was doing at that time. It's funny because I, I just had a previous episode with Hedy Wong. She's the lead actress of Takeout Girl feature film. And I was having a sort of similar conversation because she actually took her career in her own hands and she wrote it and she got a director involved. And now she's got a feature film on Hulu, which you can listen to in the previous episode. But the thought process for her doing that, it never even occurred to me 
to even take my career in my own hands like that until I was much older and further along. It never even popped up into my (laughs) mind. So I'm always like, how did you guys think about this? Was it just like my homeschooling growing up? Probably. Um, (laughs) Or just she's an athlete mentality. That's just what she's going to do. But yeah, it never even occurred to me. So I'm always like, how did you guys think about this? How did you think about like, let me just go ahead and there's got to be another way. Let me figure out how to contact people and I'm going to write them directly and I'm going to follow up and I'm professional, but it never even occurred to me. I think it was Mark Gant. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's an actor, Mm -hmm. writer, director who had this amazing web series. And he was speaking at one point, like so much of his career is a result of people like uh, not believing in him. And his response was like, oh yeah, I'll show you. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of my ambition comes from that, a similar place of like, tell me what to do. I'll show you. And then it just pushes me to, to show you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you by any chance grow up in sports? I was a gymnast. I was a, Oh my I gosh, me too. That's oh what it was. God. That's what I've had yeah, so many gymnasts on my podcast. Focus. Yeah. Yeah. I had um, also Olympic gymnast, uh, Dana Leva, and we were talking about the similarities between athletics and sports. And a lot of people think it's just sports, running, sweating, uh, uh, uh. and I'm like, actually, it's not. It's the determination and it's the work ethic. Yeah, and it's when you get like, especially in gymnastics, you know, when you eat shit and fall, <laughs> you're not allowed to really stay down. You have to get back up, sure whether do. it hurts or not. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I never put that one together. That's actually a really great insight. There was such a focus and a discipline mm -hmm. uh, that I got from gymnastics. I didn't really, because when I left gymnastics, I ended up getting uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis as a young person. Mm. It was very painful. I left sports and that was it. I never went back. I didn't want to, it just, I got really burnt out on it. Mm. But I didn't realize like, oh, I was actually applying that same kind of discipline and consistency to my to my acting hustle. It just wasn't like the working out aspect, like like being an athlete. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of other things involved with sports, not just gymnastics, but I think all sports that people probably don't put together. And so now, now you have Pickford West Society that you created by – did you create it by yourself or with a partner? Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what exactly that is? Um, so Pickford West Society is the the le- – how do I say this? The most evolved version of running my own business. I've had different arc incarnations with different business names. So uh, now Pickford West was inspired by – uh, two women from the golden age of Hollywood, which is an era I love to read about. It's such an exciting time in our business because everything was so new and there was no roadmap and people didn't really know what was possible. And women at the very beginning of Hollywood were instrumental and integral and had a lot of opportunity. Um, so Mary Pickford is the Pickford and May West is the West. So it's a combination Mm -hmm. of their names. Um, Mary Pickford was probably the first America's sweetheart. She was a global star. She uh, was so famous for playing this role. She was a silent screen star. Um, This role of her in these curls and she was playing a child like into her 30s because the public adored her so much they did not want her to play any other role but this this role that she was famous for. Yeah, so she really capitalized on that. Um, And she also was (laughs) helped found the first studio that was headed by actors. So she was in sort of the beginnings of the studio system, the MGMs. Um, and they, she and her husband at the time, Charlie Chaplin and D.W. Griffith, they Wait, broke the away Charlie to start Chaplin? a studio. The Charlie Chaplin, yes. And her husband was Douglas Fairbanks. Um, I told you, I love this era. So they, it was three actors and one, I think, director maybe. And so they started their own studio called United Artists, 
which is a Hollywood brand that has existed to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, And they owned the rights to their images. You know, it was very groundbreaking. This was like in the 20s or 30s, I think. Um, So now so many actors have production companies and they, you know, license out their image for some things. And at the time, this was unheard of. This was not Studios did not want this. They wanted all the power and they wanted all the influence. Um, so Mary, that was Mary Pickford. And then Mae West was, oh, I just love her. She's, she's <laughs> just such a, like, uh, way ahead of her time. She was a writer, actress, producer. Her work really pushed the envelope in terms of, it was very taboo to talk openly about sex. This was probably in the 30s, like oh my gosh. 30s, 40s. And she wrote a play titled Sex, like very envelope pushing, explicit, very body, very sex positive, and a woman in an era where that, you know, that was tricky um, mm-hmm. to toe that line. She ended up getting arrested and the play was like called Filth and it closed. Oh and then of course that just created a controversy where all these people wanted to then come and see this play. It was I'm sure led to a smashing success. Um, smashing. She wrote, what's that? I said smashing. A little inappropriate. Smashing, yes. Smashing success. It was called sex. I'm uh, sorry. That's <laughs> okay. But she was very known for the double entendre. So she was uh, got permission to have, um, I think it was, what's the word? Like, she was hired to do some films by a studio at 39, her first role on film. She was 39, which again, in the 1930s, like was unheard of. Um, so she was really groundbreaking in that sense and also had was able to give the final drafts of the script. So she would put in all these double entendres and like the line, is that a gun in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? She wrote back. Mm. Why don't you come up here and see me sometime? She wrote that. Like she's, she, her legacies lived on. She worked into her 80s um, as an actress. So yeah, she's amazing. They are both, you know, very, their legacies are still recognizable today. That's impressive. Um, It's like Lucille Ball. (laughs) I'm such a Lucille Ball like fan. I grew up watching I Love Lucy. And they did a similar sort of thing is, they broke so many boundaries and records in the entertainment industry, everything from like the multicam system to an interracial relationship on TV to the first pregnancy. And I actually really like that you mentioned, um, I don't know, don't remember the name, but she had her first big role at 39 or, or she had a career going at 39. Whereas like Lucille Ball, she didn't really make it in her career either until her early forties. And I feel like, even now as a society, we still value youth. Yes, we should. Yes. But I think we are finally getting to the point where like, hey, 40s is not old. 50s is not old. Like yes. we're finally seeing more women on TV. And like the older I get, the more pressure I start feeling about getting older. And I'm like, I'm not even 40 yet. This needs to like chill out. But I do feel the pressure yes. of society especially in this industry already. So, mm. and it's so stupid, quite frankly, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's stupid, right? Like older women are so fascinating and so interesting and grounded and like rooted in their mm-hmm. pelvis and their power. Like I just, it's so, it's just such a waste to think you know, that that mentality in the industry still exists for women. Like if you haven't made it by 35, you're, oh you should gosh. just pack it up. Like, and, you know, it's an exciting time. All of the like amazing actresses that came up maybe a little before us are successful enough that they're like, well, I'm over 40 and I want to keep working. So I'm just going to exactly. make it myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can I yeah. swear? I don't mind. I'm swearing a lot. <laughs> Oh no, you're you're totally fine. It's okay. It's it's good. It's good. It's good. And so that's what you that's what you help actors do in Pickford West Society is you guys um, work through scripts or do you start with scripts? Do you bring people from like step like this is what you do? What is that process like for you guys there? Great. So um, yes, I guess I never 
talked about that. So Pixar West <laughs> is my business where I help actors finally write their damn script already. Mm-hmm. Um, before now, I used to coach actors on their marketing and relationship building, sort of the seeds that I planted about how I booked my Sundance film and thinking outside of the box and you can go direct and you don't have to have an agent. So that was um, what I did previously. So that's my background in terms of how I helped actors. It was a lot of marketing and tangible plans and relationship building. I got a little burnt out on that after a while and realized I just kept getting so excited when a client of mine was creating their own project. Um, having been on the festival circuit, I've also created some of my own projects as well. And I just would be like, oh, have you thought about this? And what about this? And I just was getting so excited Mm -hmm. about the creation process. Um, And then I was writing a feature in a a feature length, no, how do I, feature length project. It's a TV pilot, it's a half hour. So I don't know, feature length project versus a short project. Um, and I was struggling with the writing. So I sought out this class. I met this amazing teacher, Olivia Cortero Briggs, who is a working TV writer. And what I learned from her again, I was like, I want to tell all my friends. I've learned all this great stuff from writing. I want to tell all my friends. Um, so Olivia and uh, Olivia and I talked and she contributed a lot of writing content to this program. And now what I do is I help actors and, you know, anyone who wants to write, but primarily actors, because that's my community. um, I help them write a script. Mm. So most of the people that come through the program want it to be a role that they can play. That's their intention. Um, So they come in a lot of times with an idea or they know they want to write something for themselves, but they don't know what to write. And then you know, they are guided through the entire process from start to finish. Yeah, I that was something I wanted to talk about too, because I feel like I am that actor who has so many ideas yes. and I don't procrastinate because I do actually try, but the second like I open up, um, you know, Google Docs or whatever, I'm like, okay, the story's done. I've written three sentences. Now what? I don't know where to go. Right. Or if I can yes. finally get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm like writing something. And then I start like my mind goes off in like 20 different directions. And I'm like, well, that's actually not where I wanted the story to go. And then before you know it, I'm combining like 10 stories in one. And I'm like, what am yes. I talking about? What am I yes. doing? <laughs> and that's why I have yet to complete a feature or a short or something. I am, I need you. I need you. I need you. Yes. Well, I'm <laughs> here to help, Caslin. <laughs> yeah. True. So that, that question of like, what am I doing? What do I do? How do I write this is the question. It's very common. And I think especially as an actor, you know how to create characters, you know how to perform, you understand story to an extent, but when it comes to actually crafting a story and story structure, I think that's where a lot of actors start to feel overwhelmed and out of their element, Um, which is one of the reasons why when I work with clients, the first thing that we start with is character. I think the biggest, one of the biggest questions I get is like, is my idea good enough or is my idea enough for a whole script and what I encourage people to do is ask a different question which is are my characters compelling enough for an entire script or an entire project Um, because what will make your idea good quote unquote is how compelling your characters are and how much your audience resonates with them so we start with the idea of a of character and then we we build in layers on top of that how would you determine and this is something i've always been really um confused about unsure how would i know if i want to write a short or if it's a feature or do i turn it into a web series what else what is my other option um Make, uh, you know, a podcast, like how would you, oh, a pilot, how would I even know? Do I have to determine that before I start writing? It's a great question. And that question can leave you really paralyzed. Yeah. That's because you, 
Yes, right. You you decide and then you start writing and you go, oh, wait, no, this isn't a web series. This is a short. And then you write some more and then you're like, no, this isn't a short. This is a feature. And then you start writing and then you're like, this is too hard. This is like, it just, it can be really paralyzing when you're spinning around in that question. So I think one of the questions to consider is what are your goals by writing this in the first place? Mm. Is it to... Uh, showcase a part of your acting chops that you don't normally get called in for? Is it to showcase yourself as a writer who then wants to get hired as a writer on other projects? Is it like a passion project, like a really personal story that is so meaningful to you, you are going to make it no matter what and use that to make an impact and make a difference out in the world? I think it just, it depends on your why, that is that is driving you to want to tell the story in the first place because each of those formats is a really different level of commitment and time and money and you know all these other considerations come into it mm-hmm. so i think it just comes back to like what is driving you to do this i was curious do you have like now that you sort of understand this process and you help other people do you have like a million finished scripts like jogged away in a file somewhere no. <laughs> no. I have a lot of ideas I want to get to. I have one script in particular that I'm Do you mean me personally? I was talking about myself. Yeah, I assumed definitely. it was about me. Mhm. Yeah. I uh no, there's one project that I'm very passionate about that I'm going to make one way or another that I sort of uh I wrote through the first draft and then life and COVID and all these things. And I got away from it and I'm, I'm getting back to it now um, to get through the end of my revisions and my next draft and sort of see where I am from there. But, you know, I think that's another reason why it's so important to be very connected to why you are writing in the first place, because unless you are, incredibly disciplined, (laughs) maybe the athletic background, incredibly disciplined and incredibly knowledgeable. It's very tough to keep yourself accountable as a writer. If you're new to it and you're learning, learning a new skill, it's so easy to get busy or get overwhelmed and you put it aside. Um, and that, you know, I'm, I know from my own experience, the times I'm most productive as a writer is when I'm in an environment of accountability and support. Mm-hmm. You mentioned like um, beginning writing a script. Can beginners, you know, write their script? Like, do you think that there has to be like some type of qualifications? Because I always get stuck on that too. I'm like, well, my grammar really sucks. My spelling's decent, but like my word order is kind of shitty sometimes. Anybody? Doesn't matter. No. Anyone yeah. can learn to write anyone. I think actors especially have a huge advantage because of our experience with character and with scripts in general. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, you know, it's an, it's an extension of a skill set you already have. I think the mistake that people make is they think actors particularly often think writing is going to be easy and they think they know more than they do until they get into the doing of it. And then they just feel like, oh my God, this is is very overwhelming. What have I done? Yeah. I think there's a lot more appreciation that goes into uh, a filmmaking, writing, when you actually do it yourself. Like (laughs) 100%. Even I've always, Mm -hmm. I've always felt like every actor should have to edit a short film. That's exactly what I was going to say. Because you will learn so much about continuity and why it matters so much. If you are sitting in that editing chair going, Oh my God, the glasses in the other hand, the turn the other way, the cigarettes out when it was lit, <laughs> like just the continuity, I think helps uh, having to edit helps will help you be more consistent in your continuity as an actor. I think it also helps with like the patience of why a film takes so long And I had no idea until, I mean, I've been editing for like a decade now at this point, but I had no idea that when I first began how long it takes and sometimes it's frame by frame by frame. And what I mean frame is 
every click is a picture. Like if I move to yes. the right a little bit, that's a picture, <laughs> a picture, a picture. So you need what? How many pictures to make one minute? Um, depending on what you're editing and you get, you know, sometimes sync sound, audio, add graphics, importing, exporting, like it's a, it's a real process. And I think that's along with writing as well, maybe sometimes as actors, which is also a very hard job, the actor life and being an actor. But sometimes I think it's helpful being on the other side of the camera or even working as crew. Yes. You'll learn to get out of the way when they're carrying sandbags and heavy stuff. <laughs> get out of the way. Stop talking when you're on set, when you're not supposed to be talking. You're making everybody else's job much more difficult. It's a whole process. And that's how I feel about that. <laughs> I think every actor becomes a better actor when they wear different hats in the process. Sure writing, being on set, producing, editing. I think it just makes you a better performer all around for sure. Yeah. And speaking of like being better, once somebody has finished like their script, they're like, okay, I have finally got the story down. I am like point A to B. I feel pretty good about it. What is the process there? Because I would imagine there would be several like rewrites. Do you do consultations? Like do you uh, what do you call that thing? Table table reads. Like, what would be the process of someone's first completed draft? Yes. So the way that I work with clients, whether it's privately or in a program, um, they are workshopping and testing their idea as they go. So they're oh. learning the writing skills. There's a you know there's a step by step process that they are guided through to go from idea to finished script. And along each step of the way, they have the opportunity to then workshop and get feedback as they're developing. So that way, by the time they get to their first draft, it's in much better shape than if, you know, I'm just sitting at my home coming up with ideas on my own for an entire script and then going, hey, what do you think? Right. It's already been tested and workshopped. Um so we, uh, you know, guide people through that process. And then in a side of our program, we do staged readings. So when people get to a, a finished draft and they feel ready, they do a staged reading, they get feedback um, from that as well. And then, you know, it depends on, again, what the goals are, if it's uh, to then sell it, if it's to then self-produce, if it's to then... Uh, you know, pivot to writing and have their two samples and get a writing agent. So it really wow. depends on what the, what the goal is, but we definitely, you know, help people develop through the writing process. So they're not just writing a draft all by themselves and then trying to get feedback on that. Cause it's usually going to be so much more work than if they are in that en environment of support and accountability and tools along the entire process. Uh, you mentioned, uh, really quickly, two samples before they get an agent. What exactly does that mean? Somebody has to have like two complete scripts? Done? Yeah, typically a literary agent will want you to have at least two feature scripts written as samples that showcase what you're good at, what your wheelhouse is, what kind of a screenwriter you are. Um, that's generally a requirement for a, a literary agent to sign you. Do you think that's like the minimum? Do you think that the agents <laughs> you need probably a referral and maybe you've won a con? Yeah. You know, there's it's like getting an actor agent. It's that catch twenty two mm. of like we want you to have co stars booked, but how do you book a co star without an agent? And it can be like that for a literary agent as well. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, <laughs> do you think that the agents actually would they read an entire script or? Is it like a log line, like one or two sentences, or do you have people write like um, quick, what is it called, like a treatment, like one page? This is what the story is about. I mean, it. if a literary agent is requesting it, mm -hmm. they will read it because they're interested in signing you. And they, it's like watching an actor's reel. You know, they need to understand what you're capable of as a writer, but it, you know, you can't just send unsolicited work to anyone, especially with a screenplay. There's a, and people will not read an unsolicited screenplay 
purely because they don't want to get sued in case they are developing something that oh. is similar already, they will not read anything unsolicited. Oh. Um, so if someone is making a request to read your work, they'll, they'll read it. Uh, they may request, um, you know, something smaller first, like a log line or synopsis or uh, a pitch deck that's less likely. So it's, you know, it's similar to acting in the sense that you need to have something to showcase what you're capable of. Right. And then you need to find the right home who's interested in, in going further in the relationship. Right. And you mainly have actors. What are some of like the pitfalls that you've noticed that actors specifically tend to fall into when they're beginning their journey of writing a script? for their dream roles, for their own careers, for themselves. Yes, yes, yes. So the first one is one I mentioned earlier, which is uh, thinking they know more about writing than they do, mm. um, which they quickly find out. <laughs> that one's pretty quick. Yeah, surprise. Because people, you know, under this platform of write your dream role, which to me is this idea of like, what is the role that you were born to play that's going to perfectly showcase you exactly the way you want the industry to see you? And especially if you're not getting called in for those kind of roles yet, what is the role that's going to put you on the map for that thing you want to be known as? Um Often those stories are inspired by the actor's personal experience. And so there's a couple pitfalls that can happen when something's based on personal experience. Mm. Um, one that I've seen manifest in a couple different ways is they're still too close to it. And it might be like a, a painful experience to the point that they actually cannot write about it yet. It's too soon. So they try to write. And then it's just too painful. They can't, it's too close to them. They're not able to do it. Um, it can also show up as wanting to be authentic to what actually happened. The script starts to feel more like a diary entry rather than a story with a beginning, middle, and end. Um, and if you want to do it that way, it might be very cathartic for you, but it's probably not going to win you an audience who actually wants to go on this story because without that structure, that narrative structure, people are going to glaze over and tune out. Mm. Um, so that can be difficult to sort of separate. This is what really happened, but this is how we're going to make this into a fictional narrative. Um, and then the, the other thing that I see a lot is an actor, often when they're writing from personal experience, either the the character based on themselves is like very nuanced and compelling. And then all the other characters are like one dimensional foils <laughs> that just kind of make the protagonist look really good. Or the protagonist based on them is the least compelling character. Like they can't see themselves from that lens. And then all these other side characters are like really compelling and interesting. And you're like, why don't you make it that person's story? Cause they're so much more interesting. So they're not able to view themselves from the writer's lens as, as a character within a narrative structure. That totally makes sense. I think it's really brave of anybody who's, <laughs> <laughs> embarking on this journey of writing um, a character for themselves and their story. Like I'm, I'm a little bit of a chick and I'm like, I don't want to air my dirty laundry. <laughs> no, nobody wants to hear those stories. Although everybody has a story and everybody has interesting elements and aspects of them. And what would you suggest? Would you suggest like maybe, okay, if you want to like write it like a journal and diary, do that, but then we're going to go back and maybe like pick some pieces out to uh, make it more of a story. I've never done it that way. I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do in that case. Mm -hmm. I, if it were me coaching that person, I would really want to help them like find the central conflict of this story and really the essence of what this story is about and then build a world and characters around that rather than have them go and do all of this work on their own and then try to piece something together. Mm -hmm. um, I, I find it's much easier to, to start from scratch than to take a project that's like half written or half developed and then try to start again with the tools that I would 
share inside the program or working privately, it's much harder to, to go back and fix it mm-hmm. um, than it is to just, uh, you know, do it with the right support and the right tools from the beginning. I just find it much easier to do it that way. Definitely. I do though, just to cut you nope, off, uh, I want to go back to something that you said, uh, you know, I don't want to air my dirty laundry and nobody wants to hear yeah. this story. That is actually a really common fear or thought that people that come to work with me have. Like my story doesn't matter. No one's going to care. And what what I try to help them realize is like actually that thing that you think no one is going to care about is the thing that gets people to lean in and feel really connected to you and see themselves reflected in that story. Um, And some of my favorite actress created projects um life and beth just came out with amy schumer that is about like grieving the death of her mother which is a deep it's a really deeply personal story from amy schumer based on her real experience uh loved it it was so great um pen 15 about like the pain and awkwardness of middle school. Like it's so easy for me in my head to say, Oh my God, no one wants to hear about what I went through in middle school. (laughs) Like what a horrible time. And like, no, who's going to care. But so many people love pen 15 because we can all relate to that horrible, painful, awkward time. And so, you know, I, I, part of what I see my job that I get to do with people that I work with is like help you realize how valuable your story actually is, even if you don't recognize it in that moment, and then help you develop that story in a way that will have an impact. Because, you know, as actors, we dig deep into our feelings in the way that most people don't want to do. It's not comfortable, but we do that as a way to connect and tell stories. And it's a really powerful tool. And so applying that to your writing as well, like digging deep and getting to the stuff that is uncomfortable, that is the stuff that people resonate with and makes them feel less alone because they see someone having a similar struggle to what they are going through or have gone through. You're totally right. And that's actually what I think art is as a whole. That's exactly what art is, whether it's performance, movies, writing, it's making people feel something. And so, yeah, you're totally right. Like that's exactly what it is. Um, It's funny you mentioned Pen15 because I have a personal issue with it. And only because, only because, and I'll definitely have to get into it in one of my episodes of a podcast or something, but I actually had a web series called 12 Teen before Pen15. Oh, no. And I might as well just tell (laughs) y'all. I had my web series, a very similar concept of me playing a seventh grader with my best friend and I did this web series from my living room and I remember pitching it to this specific network on YouTube where they came from and so I'm like alrighty is this a coincidence or did someone see it or maybe it just popped in their mind but now I'm like I cannot even believe this show Pen15 is on Hulu And I had a web series, similar concept. The only difference is I was doing it like in my bedroom and they had an entire budget and production crew. So yeah, theirs looks great. But you can go on YouTube. Maybe I'll link it somewhere here. But I had a web series called 12 Teen with me and my best friend in seventh grade. So that's like my personal little issue with it. And I'm like, it's so painful. It is. I'm like, (laughs) I just don't know if they saw it or completely coincidence. Yeah. And there's, and you'll never know. Never know. Yeah. But like the coincidences are right there. I do want to speak to that. Yeah. I do want to speak to that because that's very painful and there is no way to know. Um, And that is a sort of discomfort that many actors have that they're like, I don't want to share my work. I don't want someone to steal it. Um, And then it actually gets in their way from moving forward and processing. Um, I actually watched a film. So I had written the first 
draft of my pilot by now. And it was like gathering dust in a drawer. And I clicked on some movie. I can't remember where I saw it. But the opening sequence of the movie was almost exactly Mm -hmm. what I wrote in the opening scene of my pilot. And my jaw was on the floor. And I was like, what the fuck? Like almost exactly to the T this opening of this film that was already made, which I had never seen before I wrote my pilot. And I was like, what? You know, it ended up being a totally different story um, in terms of what it was about and what mine was about. But, uh, you know, it is that sort of, I mean, obviously they didn't steal it from me. My, <laughs> they would have never been able to see yeah. my pilot, but someone had had an almost exact idea and written it into a film and got it made. And I think it's sort of that, back to that saying of like, there's only seven original ideas in the world and everything else is like just derivative. True. Um, and it shouldn't stop you from creating a story that's meaningful to you and putting it out there. And, you know, Olivia, who is the TV writer, who was my writing mentor and collaborated with me on the program. uh, You know, she says like, you have to accept that you have to put your work out there. Like if you're not willing to work, put your work out there, you're not going to grow as a writer. You're not going to succeed as a writer. Um, And I can't remember where I've heard this, but it was like, you know, someone was wanting to litigate because they felt like a similar situation as yourself where like something you created felt very similar to something else that came out later. And the advice was like, well, you can litigate it, but if you think this is your only good idea that you're ever going to have, sure, go ahead and litigate because that's your one idea. (laughs) But if you have more than one idea, you just have to be, you know, it's part of Unfortunately, it is part of the business. You're going to see your idea or version of your idea reflected somewhere else. It's going to happen, is bound to happen because, like, you know, there's only seven original ideas. So somebody actually <laughs> said that to me and they're like, oh, so that was like your only good idea. That's like the only thing. And I'm like, you know, just let me be salty for a little bit about it. Okay. It yeah, would be <laughs> absolutely would be different. It had like, I not pitched it to that. YouTube channel. I would feel a little bit different about it. Um, I mean, yeah, it could be coincidence, seven ideas. I have heard that before, actually, now that you, now that you've mentioned it, I'm like, oh, that does sound familiar. So anyways, I'll just. Have you created anything since then? I hope, I hope. I I actually was making uh, a lot of skits and music video parodies. And um, that's kind of like where my content creation sort of started back in the days. And I did stop for a very, very long time because I wasn't getting the external validation that I was hoping for with the views. And I was like, I'm not going anywhere with this, which brings me to my next question (laughs) for you. Once someone has a script, like, what do they do with it? Yes. Okay. It's written. Now what? Is that the question? Yeah. (laughs) Great. So again, it depends. If it's your dream role that you are going to play and that's why you've written it, then I would recommend you move into self-production. Certainly some self-production is more doable than others. A short is going to be a lot more manageable, lower budget, a lot more doable than a feature. Um, So, you know, depending on what your answer was at the beginning to why I'm creating this project in the first place, would sort of recommend which direction you go, if it's short or feature. But absolutely, if it's a role that you intend to play, self-production is is the way to go. It's in your control. You are the creator. You get to hire the team and be the leader. And, you know, this is your project. So you get to, to spearhead this amazing experience. Um, if you wrote this project because you want to uh, showcase yourself as a writer, you can submit to contests, um, you know, some of the more reputable contests to get feedback. And if you place, that's a that's great cool. reason to reach out to some of your connections, development executives or literary reps or um, producers, production companies, depending on what your goal is. 
Um, but getting sort of some buzz around your script can be really helpful and contests are a way to do that. Um, you can submit screenplays to festivals. Mm -hmm. Some festivals are for screenplays, not just for finished films. So that's another avenue you could take. Uh, it just depends again on what the yeah. goal is. But if it's for yourself as an actor, I'm a huge proponent of writing a script that keeps the producibility in mind, keeping it simple, low character counts, simple locations, especially ones that you can get for free um, if possible and making that something that's very doable. Yeah. So what she's saying is like, it's really cool that you want to be in the MCU, but it may not really be possible <laughs> to have yourself flying over New York City. Okay. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> If you have a great green screen and a friend who can can do the special effects yeah. for you, great. Or or even like, but if you I would have make to... it a comedy at that point for me because I know it would just be it would be so cheesy with me trying <laughs> right. to do a green screen. But hey, like yeah, because I've I've seen so many um so many films um even at festivals and there was a film I want to say last year a couple of years ago called The Planters and it was the two lead actors at actresses. And they filmed the entire thing by themselves. And it's a feature and it killed. And I, I actually think it was on Hulu or one of the streaming platforms, but they did it themselves. And it was impressive and it was great, but it was, it was very simple. It was a story of them. They no like crazy camera movements or anything like that. They pretty much set up shop. One of the actors was in the scene. The other one was setting up behind the camera, ran in front and, they probably did it, you know, quite a few times, but they have a feature film and they got it done. And what an accomplishment to them and for everybody else who's getting that shit done. Yes. And it goes back to the like, I'll show you point of view, mm -hmm. right? People, I'm sure many people told them you can't sure. do that. You can't make a feature, just the two of you. And they said, guess what? We can. And they got you know, scrappy and they figured out how to do it. Yeah. You know what I want to ask you really quickly? And I, I tend to ask my guests a couple, uh, something along these lines often. How do you manage being both an actress and like the founder of Pickford West Society? Because myself as an actress, but I also, you know, I do photography. That's how I actually pay my bills. And I have a blog and a podcast. And sometimes I'm like, well, not really acting as much as I want to because I'm so busy doing this. How do you manage, you know, being an actress and a writer? Do you think that one maybe takes precedent? You have to prioritize or 50-50 here and there? What is your process? It's a, it's such a great question. Um, I have, I took a break from acting for a number of reasons. One, I didn't even realize until recently um, and maybe it's TMI, but I feel like maybe other listeners struggle with this as well. Um, I have fibroids, which give me really, really, really heavy periods and Oof. they're debilitating and I cannot oh. work. Um, and I didn't realize it at the time, but that absolutely was messing with my ability to mm. pursue acting because you can't not show up to set because you don't feel good and you have cramps. Um, you can't take a day off. And so I wasn't able to really be reliable in the way that you need to be as an actor. Um, so that was one of the influences of why I sort of put it aside for for a time. I still consider Absolutely. myself an actor. Um, and as I continue to write projects, I, I view that as a way that I will return to it sort of on my own terms. Um, running a business for me, just really, I never found the balance, just was like, my business came first and my business came first. And then time just kept going by. And I was like, wait a minute. I kept saying, I'm going to do these things and I'm not doing them because I keep waiting until I have more time. So I had to really push myself to make time to get back to the script that I mentioned. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm a very all or nothing type of 
person. Like I feel like if I can't only focus on writing, I don't want to. I want to wait until I have a chunk of time and that's the only thing I'm focusing on. And that is actually really not doable. It's not doable and it's setting myself up for failure. So I've been forcing myself to just work a little by little every day on this script, which if I do anything, I, I consider it a success. So I just really lowered the bar of what is considered productive for this project that I've been waiting until I have this huge chunk of time. So that was one of the like just uh, internal blocks I had to remove was the all or nothing thinking and just say, look, if I spend 10 minutes on writing a paragraph about this character, that is a success. So then I started to feel like I was being successful because I was doing 10 minutes and then I can increase it and increase it and increase it. So that was one of the things that I, I had to do for myself because I wasn't finding the mm -hmm. balance. Um, and then that just leads to a cycle of like uh, admonishing yourself and then feeling guilty and then stress, you know, just kind of spin around in that, which is not support supportive or mm -hmm. productive at all. Um, so that's, that's in a nutshell what it is. And then just, you know, I am finally working with a practitioner that's seems like they might be able to help me with the menstrual issues, which I think will be really helpful just in terms of, I, I did the math. Um, I'm actually out of commission four months out of the year wow. because of oh cramps. Gosh. Like if I tally up all of the time I have to take. So it's been really debilitating and just in terms of how much time I have to give to anything. So my business was coming first because that's how I make my money, you know, consistently making money that way. Um, and when I did that math, I was like, oh my gosh, like I need to, mm -hmm. I need help. <laughs> I need, I need help to, to fix that. Cause that's a lot of time to lose. That is a lot of time. Um, <sighs> that sounds so incredibly painful. And I, I was, <laughs> I was having but... <laughs> this conversation also being an actor and even pursuing an actor. Um, is a privilege. It's a really privileged lifestyle that we even get to, to do this really and is. pursue yeah. it. And even though I find that I'm not actively auditioning, you know, maybe here or there, it doesn't mean I'm not an actor. That title doesn't just disappear. doesn't mean I can't do it later. So I think you're still an actor, even though, you know, you're taking a break right now and the industry is hard. It, it's, it's just, um, it's, you know, it's, it's what it is. And it's, yes, it is what it is. Having run my own business for over a decade now, I'm just in a different mindset than yeah. I was in my twenties. You know, it's just different. I, and for me, you know, again, for me, it's always a question of like, is it worth putting the little bit of time when I'm feeling up to it into this and, you know, running around to auditions and the hair and the makeup and the bar and all, just at a certain point, I was like, I don't want to spend my time doing that. I just don't. I'd rather spend my time creating my, something on my own. And, you know, uh, it just having run my own business, it makes it, it's just harder for me to be an employee. Yeah. I guess I have to touch up. I have I to touch on to that really it, quickly of what you said. And you mentioned about uh, running around, doing hair, makeup. And yes, like now almost all of the auditions are self-tapes at home, which is great because people like me, I don't have to drive anywhere and I have my self-tape set up, you know, right, right <laughs> over here. But it's still such a process because I have to put on makeup and I have to do my hair and it's time-consuming. And if you do end up doing the math, the amount of time you actually act is very, very small in comparison to how much time and effort it takes to actually get that job. Because there's the addition, the submitting, the this, this, this. So it really is like the whole uh, business to act. So actually getting to act is like very, very small. So it's an interesting thing. Yeah, it's like the least amount of your career is actually spent Active. Yeah, it's so strange. Um, so I think I'm going to transition us <laughs> to the moment of positivity here. 
Yes. So, with all of that being said, during those hard times, what is it that keeps you going and something that maybe you tell your your clients and when they're getting like a writer's roadblock, what keeps what keeps everybody going? Uh, I have a coach who has a habit of saying, you know, many times people express, oh, I'm behind schedule and I'm behind and I've felt that way and people in my program have said that. And she says, like, you're always on time all the time. Like, no matter where you're at in your process, you're always on time all the time. Um, and I think that is really important, especially anyone in the arts, because you have this vision of where you're supposed mm. to be in your career. And then the thing that you're focusing on is, like, everything you haven't done yet or how far behind you think you are. And you're just looking at that gap between today and where you want to go. I think it's very important to remind yourself of how much you have accomplished. Um, someone in one of my programs recommended instead of making a to-do list, they make a to-done list. So they just make a list of everything they did instead of a to-do list where then you're like, oh my God, I didn't do this and I didn't do that. It's like, this is just a list of what mm. I did today. I think that's really helpful. Um, and then I have a, we were talking before the recording, I have a deck of cards. Sometimes I just pull from when I'm like, okay, what do I need to know or think about today? Yay. So I pull two cards for our mm -hmm. listeners. So I'm going to read okay. them both. They're very short. Okay. The first one I pulled is called Clarity. Actually, are we, I'll show the mm -hmm. visual. So this is the is beautiful card. It says, a principle of conscious living, be clear about what you ask for, how you want to live your life, your ideals, dreams, idyllic joys, and states of being. That I sounds like that great. I like that one. And then we also have heralding chain. Okay. And this one says, whatever trip you're on, your soul's purpose is bringing in significant changes. Ooh be open to them celebrate the gifts opening before your eyes that one that sounds great like touches that. me that one I felt that one <laughs> that one must have been for you it, it, it probably <laughs> was two. it probably was uh really quickly before we wrap up I have a couple things really quickly I want to mention um you I think you just mentioned it briefly again in the moment of positivity but before the moment of positivity you were talking really quickly about doing just a little bit at a time a little bit of writing, a little bit of writing, that actually ends up being a lot over, over time. So I think that's a really great way to think about doing it. Even if you can't do it all at once now, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, you get that habit going and eventually over time, yes. you've accomplished a lot. So I really like that. Agree. And you get better. The more you write, the better you get. Faux show. Faux show. And and how can we, Emily, how can we find you? How can we sign up for Pickford West Society? Give me your deets. Tell us how to say hello. What's the scoop? Deets. Um, so I have a free resource, which I love to share um, for anyone who wants Yay. to learn how to write. And we will begin with compelling characters. Uh, and the website for that is writeyourdreamroll.com. And it's a free video training where I show you how to lay the foundation for these compelling characters. And then we uh, watch a scene from a film and then we analyze the characters from Devil Wears Prada. And it's a very informative first step to really laying the foundation of compelling characters. And then I'm, I'm on Instagram at the only Emily Grace. Uh, I'm not the only <laughs> Emily Grace, but my Instagram handle is. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll include all that in like the comment section below. So make sure to follow her and sign up for the writeyourdreamroll.com. That is, again, the free resource to create compelling characters your audience will root for. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? I feel like you have so much great information. We like just barely got to scratch the surface. I know. I know. We could keep talking for a long time. Um, is there anything else I want to share? I will just, uh, reiterate something that we touched on earlier, which is anyone can learn how to write in 
the right environment of tools and support, anyone can learn. Um, I would say don't create in a vacuum. So if you are creating, you want to be testing that idea and getting feedback as you go, it will be so much better if you do it that way. Don't create in a vacuum. And then just a reminder, like your story is valuable and people are going to want to know about it and will resonate with it. Yay. Oh, I was like, you froze for a second, for a second. (laughs) We got it. Um, I think that's great. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Always Acting Up podcast. Everyone, if you're listening, make sure to go follow Emily, check out that free resource. And I have a question for you in the comment section. If you have a favorite writer, who is your favorite writer? If you don't have a favorite writer, what is your favorite story? Whether it be in a book or a movie, what is your favorite story? Leave that in the comment section below. And speaking of comment sections and all those good things, make sure you are subscribed to Always Acting Up Podcast on all, of course, all of the podcasting platforms and here on YouTube if you're watching us in the video form. Make sure to subscribe so you can always catch the next episode. I think that wraps it up for today. This has been a fabulous conversation. Uh, I really wish we can keep going, but, you know, we got things to do. We got things to do. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having thank me. Thank you, I really and you guys. This. Thank you, Emily. You guys have a good rest of your day. Bye.